Welcome back to the Planet Jesus podcast, the show for skeptics and Christians who want to learn more about the Bible and understand better how to interpret and apply it. This is episode 18, Citizen of Heaven. Shining the light for a world enveloped in darkness is not simply a task set for us. On the contrary, this light should shine as part of our birthright as children of God. Being a good citizen of heaven affords us with great opportunity and privilege, not to squander, but to share by modeling God's character to not just those we care about, but to those whom God cares about. And now, Rob Massey. I was looking at the way that Paul was encouraging Titus to encourage the Christians in Crete to be good Cretans. Uh, he gave examples of how there were bad Cretans and, and Christians that were in Crete that were uh, holding on to doctrines that were actually making them look bad within the community. And we're not just talking about the community of faith, we're talking about the community at large, the governors and the leaders. And so he, uh, Paul, encouraged them to be more intentional about the public life that they lived so that they would not come under scrutiny and that this new kind of people that was forming within that community could be recognized as being something that was admirable and something worth being part of. So he says, you know, respect and honor and be obedient to the powers that be. And he gives other encouragement there. And he basically says, it's because you guys are heir of all things. You're responsible for this world. Um, we talked about the times of the Gentiles. And this is really a time that began from the time that the kings of Israel ceased to have a kingdom after the Babylonian Empire, from the Babylonians to the Medes to the Persians to the Grecians to the Romans, they continued to be dominated by Gentiles. And even at their own time, the time of Jesus, when the temple had been reestablished and there was uh, regular sacrifices and offerings going on, there was a sense that they were still under not just a sense, they were Roman legions were in their city dictating what happened. As a matter of fact, Jesus even encourages them, if a centurion bids you to go with him a mile, then go with him too. That is, if he says, pick up my bags and carry it, the Roman legions had the power and authority over the local citizens to basically conscript them into their service. And so Jesus says, here's the way you deal with those guys. If they tell you to pick up their bags and carry them for a mile, you carry them two miles. When they say, okay, you're done, I'm going to find another lackey to do this job. He goes, you know, you say, no, I got it. I'll carry it another, two, another mile. That kind of spirit uh, showed that just because somebody was dominating you, just because the times of the Gentiles were, were suppressing the religious people of that day, it didn't mean that we had to live like we were subjugated. We actually could live like liberated free people in a society that was imprisoned by Roman authority. So we talked about uh, the times of the Gentiles last week, and the way that that ended up is that we saw in Revelation 11 that those that were part of the kingdom of God, 
though that they were sometimes rejected, sometimes killed like Jesus was killed, uh, they uh, had such an effect that most of the world was saved because of their suffering and their faithful witness. So that's what we got, that just because we're living in an age where we call ourselves kingdom people, we believe that we're living in a time where we are heirs of all things and responsible for all things, we also recognize that there's a power that is still dominating and trampling in this world. But that should not change the way our behaviors. As a matter of fact, the darker it becomes, the more complex the environment becomes, Christians will shine as lights that we're going to talk about here in the Philippians. And they shine as lights because they are bearing the character of a different kingdom. The kingdoms of this world, they don't behave today like the kingdom of our Lord God and his Christ, Jesus, according to Revelation 11. That's a quotation from Revelation 11. We're not living in that time yet where we see all things brought under his feet, but we see that right now he's actively bringing things under his feet. So how should we? Are there good... Does Paul do this anywhere else? Does he provide any guidance or guidelines for how to live as citizens of another country, of a heavenly country? How do we behave here and now? How do we live here and now in a way that is provoking to those outside, provoking in a good way? Uh, and it may be in a bad way, but then in the way that we respond to their provocations could then end up being a way of delivering and bringing salvation to people who are even our enemies. Uh, that's why Jesus says, love your enemies and do good to them that despitefully use you and persecute you. Because he knows that through suffering and the way that we suffer, the way that we uh, submit to authority, in that way, it exemplifies to the world the kind of citizens that we're to be in this world. And we actually then become models of character. So we're going to look at a few passages from the book of Philippians. And Philippians was written to a group of people, Christians, in a city called Philippi. It was founded in the 4th century by Philip II of Macedonia, and it was a pretty important city for a good while. It kind of fell off the map, no pun intended, for a period of time. Historically speaking, it was not a real visible city until Cassius and Marcus Brutus killed Caesar. And when they assassinated him, they went to this city, Philippi, and they took up arms and gathered around them insurgents and from other Roman legions. Mark Antony and Augustus, they were the heirs to Caesar's empire. They banded together and they went into Philippi in the Battle of Philippi and they took the city. In place of the people and the leaders and the rulers of that city of Philippi, they replaced them with the 28th legion. These were Roman soldiers that they carved up the land, they gave them all land, and they said, okay, settle here, be our ambassadors, be the representatives of Rome in this northern Grecian city. With that in mind, and I think that's an important context, 
We want to see what Paul says to the citizens of that city. See, Paul is now talking 90 years after the Battle of Philippi. 90 years, Paul goes in there with Silas and Timothy. And for the first time, a city in Europe hears the good news of Jesus Christ. For the first time, Europe is hearing the gospel, and that city who is first to hear it is Philippi. The only people that they know that are this kind of new citizenry, this new kind of people, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they come in and they begin to model a faith for them. And about 10 years later, Paul visits a couple more times, and then Paul is cast into prison, and six or seven years later, he's writing this book in the mid-60s AD. He's writing this book back to them from prison. So Paul is now encouraging them in the midst of this city how to live publicly, how to be public people. The Christian faith is not a private faith, and everything that Paul is going to talk about here is about how to live publicly. So in the first chapter, in the 27th verse, he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. See, they could have had two choices in this city. As they became converts, and now they've been converts for going on 20 years when Paul writes this. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. They could have hidden away and been private Christians and not allowed their public life to be ever demonstrate any kind of Christian faith. They didn't have to be different than the other citizens of Philippi. They didn't have to be different than the legions that still ran the show in that city. But Paul is saying, don't choose that path. Live publicly and live honestly, he says. Let the manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you stand firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He wanted them to be united as a church. That public unity was a strong witness to a city probably divided by political, by religious, and other factors that would come in. There were probably uh, multiple Uh, shrines and and holy places to different gods, and they had their adherents. And there was probably political intrigues. I mean, the city was founded on political intrigue, assassination plots and and executions and and wars to put down that kind of thing. So we're, we're not to think that the insurrection and the spirit of division or politics was eliminated from the city. But Something that the church would be in that city in their unified side-by-side stance in the faith of the gospel would be a witness to the people around them. He says, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Well, this wasn't like other Christians that were their opponents. Their opponents were people within the city, people who adhered to the gospel of Caesar. That Greek word gospel, euangelion, or good news, was used almost exclusively, predominantly, to represent a message that would come from Caesar. So the good news of Caesar was Roman peace 
and centurion and legion domination. That was the Roman gospel. It was might and power and horses and chariots and swords. But he says, don't be frightened by your opponents, those that are standing for the gospel of Caesar. You're standing for the gospel of Christ, a church that is challenged to live in context where the gospel of Caesar is challenged. We have got to live in a way that the gospel of Caesar, and that gospel of Caesar exists today. When we put too much confidence in politics, when we put too much confidence in religious hierarchy and and structures, what we end up doing is inadvertently becoming adherents to the gospel of Caesar and not the gospel of Christ, which is going to be explained to us. What is the gospel of Christ? Down here in the second chapter, in the third verse, he's going to explain how Christ exemplifies the kind of life that those that are faithful to the gospel in the church would live. In the third verse, he says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. See, rivalry and conceit is what got Brutus and Cassius Gaius killed by Augustus. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And not just others within the church, but like we saw in the encouragement to Titus two weeks ago, it's also making others, honoring uh, magistrates, honoring leaders and governors. Count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also on the interests of others. That's in the the fourth verse. What's interesting about this is Paul's not going to leave you guessing on what that looks like. What does it look like to not look only on your own interests, but also on the interests of others? In the 19th verse, and we're going to drop back to the 12th verse in a minute, but in the 19th verse of the second chapter, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus Christ to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. See, Timothy was a man who was traveling the world to look towards the welfare or the interests of others. Timothy was giving himself to others. In the 25th verse, he says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister or servant. See, these men were serving these others, and they were not to be anomalies. These men were not to represent some great class of Christians that served others through love and looked to the interests of others. Timothy and Epaphroditus were being used by Paul and by God to serve the people and to demonstrate in front of them the kind of character that was necessary. And we're going to see something here in Paul in a minute that Paul says, hey, you saw me do this, you do it also. And the same with Timothy and Epaphroditus. They were living out the life because it was a new thing. Being a Christian in that day was a new kind of thing that needed to be modeled. They already had models for how to be good worshipers of Diana or Hermes or Dionysius, they already had people practicing those 
ways. They already had people following the political and military dictates of the legions that had control over that area, that city. So what they needed is they needed new witnesses. They needed a new model to go on because this was a new kind of people. Now let's drop back up in Philippians, the second chapter, 12th verse. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, these are people who are upright, upright characters. So now, not only in my presence, but also in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is performing the work that you've been given to do. Be the kind of people that you've been called to be. For it is God who works in you. We don't have to worry because God is going to empower us to be his people in these public settings, both to will and to work his good pleasure. Do all things. That is all things. The things that you're doing in your political life, in your job, Maybe some of these people were working for the magistrates of Philippi. They were to do all things without grumbling or questioning. Uh, John the Baptist, when he was encouraging those who had come to his baptism, some of those that came to John's baptism were Roman centurions, Roman legionnaires. And what he encouraged them to do was to Be content with their wages. Don't grumble about your wages. So it was doing all things without grumbling or questioning. What kind of people would we be at school if we didn't complain about our teachers and our homework and our fellow students? Or what kind of people would we be in our workplace if we were contented with our wages? And not to the point of abuse, but but didn't go around making a scene about everything. Be good citizens that you may be blameless and innocent. This is why I'm saying that these are public acts, that you might be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. See, this was, this was a crooked and perverse generation. And listen, there's no reason to go and judge people who are on the outside. There's no reason to go and judge people who are not Christians because of their ungodliness or their bad behaviors. It is what's been modeled to them. But we have another model. We have a different gospel than they have. Our good news is about a life of sacrificial love and service and preference towards others. It's a model that says in this world, as citizens of this world, we will be honoring And we will be respectful to all those in authority, our neighbors, everyone. And I like what he does here when he says, among whom you shine as lights in the world. This is a echo of Daniel 12. Remember, he says that in the future kingdom, when Michael stands up against all the opposition and sets everything right, when when the sin of Israel is finally removed, He says, you will shine as lights in the heavens, that the righteous and those people who turn people to righteousness would shine as the lights in the firmament. So Israel had always hoped, and sometimes Christians, we think we're going to be lights in the heavens, that someday we're going to be the people that God has called us to be. But this says that you be in the midst, current, present tense, that you shine present tense as lights. So there's kind of a, 
there's already a realization of who we're going to be. It, we may not be in heaven, but we're citizens of heaven and we behave like citizens of heaven. And then he says, holding fast to the word of life. That word there, holding fast in the Greek is like water in a sponge, like the sponge holding water. Hold fast to the word of life. Soak up the word of God. Because when we soak up the word of God, it develops, it molds our character into the character of the one who is modeled the character of God. That is Jesus Christ, our King. When the character of God has been modeled through Jesus, and then we look at him through his apostles and we model the character that they demonstrated, and we do that through reading the word, through studying and soaking up, that's how we hold fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ, that's in the end when it's all summarized and we all go to heaven in a little rowboat, I may be proud that I did not run in vain and labor in vain. He goes, you, you guys will be saved. Now let's jump down to the third chapter. Let's look at the 19th verse because he's talking about enemies of the cross and people who are heavily resistant within the community there of Philippi. He says, their end is destruction, their God is their belly. Remember, that's exactly what he said in, in Titus, the first chapter, about the Cretan Christians who were failing to be the kind of witness within the community. They were saying that their God was their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Remember reading in the beginning of the second chapter? Our minds, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's actually Romans, the 12th chapter. What uh, Philippians 2 says, have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So we're to have the mind of Christ. But these people that were in opposition, people that were adherents to the gospel of Caesar, they were setting their minds on earthly things. But our citizenship is. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Now, what this is saying is, just like Augustus left the 28th legion in Philippi to run the show and report back to Rome on the affairs of that region of northern Greece, just like those citizens didn't cease to be citizens, they may not have lived in Rome, but they were citizens of Rome. They were ambassadors to Rome. They were liaisons to communication. They judged. They managed. They, they were engaged in that community as leaders. We are to be, just because we're not right now in the future eternal heaven, we, our citizenship is in heaven, and we are here ambassadors and governors and leaders and advocates. When I said two weeks ago that the Christian people are heirs of all things through the promise to Abraham, we have become heirs to all things. Now, it doesn't appear that way yet, but we may not have all the benefits of it, but what we do have is the responsibility for it. We have the responsibility to be good citizens in this world that serve our neighbors, that serve our governors and our principal men and women. We serve honorably in our schools and in our workplaces. 
We become, in our public life, we are exemplary for our promotion of peace. That is the earmark because the rest of this crooked generation, they're writhing, they're struggling, they're fighting for territory, they're minding earthly things. But the citizens of heaven, their minds, they're waiting, they're living a life knowing that their king, their Caesar, is going to return. This city called the planet Earth is a city of humanity. And the true king is going to return someday. And when he returns, he will find faith. He will find citizens that have been living an exemplary life. And as I said last week, and I started this Bible study off with, it may seem sometimes that we're not having the effect that we want to have. But the reality of it is, the bulk of this planet will be saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, that the love of God will find its way into every crack and crevice of this planet. And everyone who wants to be saved will be saved. That's the hope that we have. So in the fourth chapter, he says, Brothers and sisters whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. Stand firm, even in these contentious and visible places. Stand firm, not like wagging our fingers. That's not standing firm. Standing firm isn't being critical of the people of this world and pointing our, wagging our fingers and say, oh, look at all those dirty heathens out there. Or, Thank God I'm in the body of Christ. That isn't it. Wagging our finger isn't standing firm. Standing firm is despite public scrutiny, You stand for peace. You stand for the good news of Jesus Christ, which is sacrificial love, honoring and giving ourselves to others, not mandating that your rights be served up every day on a silver platter, but you're serving others with love. When we get too politically minded and too concerned about our needs instead of the needs of others, we're getting off into the gospel of Caesar. So then he says in the fourth verse of the fourth chapter, and we're almost done, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now, Paul was a good Jew. Paul was not talking about rejoicing like, I've got this inner feeling of exaltation and joy. That's not what he's saying. Man, this is like a raucous Jewish wedding. Where people are like, you know, fiddler on the roof. You know, it's 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 like dun 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 dun. It's it's celebration. It's rejoicing. It's dancing. It's almost obscure at how exuberant that our rejoicing in the Lord should be. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Gospel-centered citizens of heaven are reasonable and they're free from anxiety. Notice what he goes on to say here. Be reasonable. Man, right now, this is a time for a lack of reasonability, right? Man, you listen to one news report and we're all going to die. We're all going to hell in a, in a handbasket. And on the other side, oh, there's nothing to worry about. We, we, we don't know how to be reasonable. Sometimes we go to one extreme or the other. We're not, we're not reasoned about things. 
or the Lord is at hand, he says. Either that means that his spirit is present, so don't sweat it, or he's coming back soon, so make sure you're being the kind of people that you need to be. And he says, do not be anxious about anything. No anxiety. We're not wringing our hands. We're not wringing our hands over coronavirus. We're concerned about it, and we take action based on our concern. We take action that is reasonable, but no more, no less. And just as a side note, let's be gracious to our government. Let's be gracious to our governors and our leaders on both sides of the fence. Because I think that kind of grace and them kind of working through a very complex situation, uh, it's not easy to be a leader in this day and age, particularly these, these type of events that are going on right now. Let's show grace. As Christians on social media, let's be recognized as the most grace-filled, reasonable, and least anxious people on the planet, because that's how we are shining as lights. If we're following the same crooked path of the generation that's surrounding us, then we've got nothing to offer. But if we are truly walking into a new place, a new city, a new Philippi, wherever you are, and you are ministering calm, reasonableness, and no anxiety, that's when people stand up and go, I want what he has, or I want what she has. But the way that we keep ourselves from that is by in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Do you want anxiety to just drop from your life? Just start thinking of everything that you're happy about, everything that you're thankful for. Just get a piece of paper out and say, you know, there's one lady came and visited our church 15 years ago. And she said, you know, when I get upset at my husband, I I try to think of things that I'm happy about or that I'm thankful for. And he goes, and sometimes the only thing I can think about is he's tall. The only thing that I can find that I'm thankful for is that he's tall. But that was a, not that short guys, she was a super tall woman. And that's why she was saying that. Not that being tall is a, is a big super gift or not, or anything. Now I'm digging myself in the hole. As brother Steve used to say, when you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. It's the rule of holes. With thanksgiving, be thankful, be thankful. And that causes anxiety to leave. Thankfulness will cause anxiety to leave. Let your requests be made known unto God and the God of peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and keep your minds in Christ Jesus. You want to say, I can't keep my mind in Christ Jesus. That's right, you can't. But the God of heaven, as we start to grow anxious, we start to think about things that we're thankful for, and the God of heaven will guard our minds and our hearts in Christ Jesus. That's guarded, brother and sister. He says, finally, brothers, this is what the gospel of Jesus' people are all about. This is how they they live in the world. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just and pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything that's excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now, that was Paul. When he first entered into the city of Philippi, those Philippian believers needed to have a model for what did the people of the new kingdom look like and how did they behave 
in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. How to shine as lights. It's about thinking on things that are honorable, thinking on things that are lovely, thinking on things that are true. Now we might say, well, there's art is true and beauty and all of this stuff, art and, and, and music and creation. It's beautiful. Why do we have to go to church? We could just enjoy the beauty of God's world. Or why do we have to be active Christians when there's all this beauty? It, it's because there's something that's coupled with the beauty, the art, the music, the creation. It's that plus this sacrificial character where people serve one another in love, where they live in a humble state and honor one another. That is unmistakably otherworldly. And it's what the gospel of Christ type people need to be living. And now we have a time. We are citizens of that, that eternal city of, that, of heaven. That's where our citizenship is. But we're behaving here like citizens of heaven. We are now models for the character of God. We're modeling God's character to our neighbors, to our social media feeds, people that we're responding to on social media. We need to be very careful about name-calling and about harsh statements. Let's be the humble, gentle people who deem others greater, more valuable than themselves. In today's busy world, time is valuable, and we're grateful you've chosen to spend some time listening to the Planet Jesus podcast. The show notes for this and all episodes, as well as links to any source material, can be found at our website, planetjesus.net. Become a part of the conversation on Facebook, at Planet Jesus Podcast, and on Twitter, at Planet Jesus and the number two. If you've enjoyed this show, please subscribe and share it with a friend. We would also value your honest rating and review. If you'd like to help defer some of the costs, please visit our Patreon account at patreon.com slash planetjesus. The Planet Jesus Podcast is a production of Rob Massey and edited by me, David L. White. 